again, the first reading is from Exodus chapter 19, 1 through to 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out for Rephidim and, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, This you should say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now the second reading is just a few pages over on uh, chapter 23, 1 through to 9. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be... A malicious witness you shall not fall in with many to do evil nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray you shall bring it back to him if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall not take no bribe for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, and you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Thanks, Ian. And it'll be really good to keep your Bible open there at Exodus 23, those first nine verses. And uh, let's pray as we uh, begin to look at them. Lord God, we do want to thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way in which you speak to us through it. We thank you that your word is powerful and that through your word, you change and you transform us. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would do that this morning uh, by your Holy Spirit. Please be at work and give us understanding of what you are saying. And please use it, Lord, to change our lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you have ever walked into a room uh, where there has been some conflict before you got in there, and uh, maybe you're, you're late to a meeting at work, and you, you realize as you walk in that that phrase, um, you could cut the air with a knife, <laughs> that was written just for occasions like that. Or you, you step into the, the morning tea room. And you realize that something was going on in there before you got there because the atmosphere is just frosty. 
or you had some people come over for a meal and you realize that maybe things didn't go quite right in the car ride over. <laughs> as soon as they get in there, they're wanting to talk to anybody else other than just each other. I wonder if you've ever been into a church where there is division going on. You can pick it up, can't you, sometimes? People don't even have to say anything about it. Maybe you can tell during the Sunday worship. Or maybe it's something you pick up over morning tea afterwards. You can tell it in people's body language, don't you? It's tense. Jaws are clenched. Eyes dart around the room or they, they look to the ground. People aren't relaxed. You can tell it in the way that people talk. In, in the language that they use or the way that they use their language. It's short, clipped sentences. Pe- people are stressed and it comes out in the, the way that they talk. And you can tell it most clearly in the things that people talk about. Because it's usually negative and it's usually about other people. Now this morning we're continuing our series looking at some passages of the law in the Old Testament. We started last week by looking at some verses in chapter, 23, oh sorry, chapter 21, which we looked at as case studies in the commandment, you shall not kill. And we saw how God had applied this commandment to Israelite society about to enter into the promised land. And that it was more than just killing, it was protecting life and valuing life. And so we had to look at those commandments through the lens of Christ and through the lens of our culture to look at how that applies to our lives today. Well, today we're going to have a look at another set of case studies in one of the commandments. This time we're having a look at chapter 23, verses 1 to 9, which I'm going to suggest are case studies In the commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I think that that commandment is one of the hardest commandments to think about and apply more broadly. Often we think about it quite narrowly, tell the truth, and often we think quite individualistically, you and you and you tell the truth. But I think we're going to see today in these case studies, God applies them more broadly than that. And firstly, that's, it's not just a negative. It's not just in the things you are not to do, but with our language, our words, we are to be promoters of justice. And it's not just individual. It is communal. The people of God are to be those who with their lips, with their speech, promote justice. You see, this fits in really well with where God is going and has been with his commandments. That's why we had Ian read from Exodus chapter 19. Because it's important to remember why these commandments are given. Israel has been rescued out of Egypt. They have become... God's treasured possession. And he says, if you obey these things, if you keep this command, this covenant, this relationship, you will be for me 
a holy nation and a royal priesthood. See, in these terms, God is describing a wonderful relationship with him. We are his people who exist to bring him praise and for his purposes. But it also describes our relationship with the wider world. We are the alternative community. God's people are to be the alternative, redeemed, rescued people who through their lives, who through their language, declare the graciousness and the goodness and the power of the God who has rescued them. And here, we do that through our lips and by promoting justice. As we go through, we're going to have a look at three areas in which this is applied in these nine verses. And the first one here is in the area of slander. Have a look there at verse 1 and look at what it says. You shall not spread a false report. It's the spreading of a false report around about to others. Now, the way that this is worded in the Hebrew, and this is what commentators tell me, not what I've magically figured out for myself, but what commentators say, is it's a little bit ambiguous whether this is actually receiving a report or giving a false report. And maybe it's actually kind of helpful that it is ambiguous because both of these two things apply. Whether we are hearing something and taking it in or whether we are active in putting something out there, we are to avoid false reports. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, that means things that are completely untrue, things that are made up, things that are just blatantly false and wrong, fake news, uh, I think is the term that we use for them today. But this also includes, and more often includes, things that are partially true, things that are twisted, things that have an element of truth to them but have been distorted to become untrue. And it even includes things that are true, are accurate, but are spread in a way that is designed to tear people down rather than build them up. You see, what this is talking about is the use of our words to damage somebody's reputation. To do the very opposite of what our speech is intended, which is to build people up, it's actually designed to tear them down. Now, one of the ways that we, we need to apply this and think about this is in the way that you and I operate in the wider world. We are to be different in the way that we speak about others in the world. And so whether that's in our schools, in, in, the, in the playground for the kids here, whether that's in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods, in our sporting clubs, we are not to use our words to tear people down by spreading rumors, lies, slander, gossip, but we are to use our words to build people up. We're the alternative community with a, with a different way of doing things. But there's a more pressing application here than that. And that is the way that the church, the people of God, 
operate together. We are to avoid slander and gossip, malicious talk about one another. Now, this is hard, isn't it? I mean, because we are put together as a church of people from all different types of backgrounds and tastes and interests. We're, churches are usually often, and we're no exception, eclectic mixes of people. Not the kind of people you would normally choose if you got to, to kind of to hang around with all the time. And we try to get to know each other better. We try, we try to get to know things about each other's lives. And we get to see each other on form, and we get to see the worst of each other as well. And in that, the temptation is always to be competitive with each other. To want to promote ourselves and to stand up and forward rather than build one another up around about us. And so often, this causes damage. Now, last weekend, there was a, um, another little um, bushfire, grass fire, uh, down in the western district of our state. It was nowhere near as the, the, the fires that we had a number of weeks ago, but it was, there was quite a significant fire. Uh, and on the radio was interviewed on Monday, the mother of the two little boys who started it. Uh, you see, they had decided that they would get a lighter from inside the farm, and they would just go and have a little play out in the backyard and see what they could set alight. Not malicious. Uh, they didn't intend to burn half the farm down, uh, I'm sure. They knew that they were doing the wrong thing, but they never, never thought about what the consequences might be. Uh, and that's exactly how the book of James describes our tongue. Little sparks in tender, dry territory, which can cause a raging fire that does destruction. We don't intend it. It's not what we have in mind when we share that little bit of information with another person. We, we twist the truth. We leave out little bits just to make ourselves seem somehow better and to drag other people down. But that's what happens. And that's awful. That's awful for people who are caught in that, isn't it? When, when a church is caught in that, that's awful for us to experience that but it's also damaging for our witness in the world. Because the church is meant to be God's alternative community that does and says it differently. So that when people look in, they see life and community done differently in a way that builds up and encourages rather than tears down. Our kids and our, our, our young people need to grow up in a church community that is significantly different from all of the other communities that they're involved in in their lives. And the difference, the key difference, is the way that people treat each other. That it's not a competition. It's not a self-promotion. But with our mouths, with the things that we say, we are building people up. So when we, we hear those things that people are saying, we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, do I need to hear this? Like, is this actually helpful for me to hear and to know this? 
or do I need to steer the conversation in a different direction? Is me knowing this, is this helpful and upbuilding for the church, or is it actually tearing it down? When we're speaking, when we're tempted to say those things, those false reports, we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, is this absolutely necessary? Is this helpful for the person that I'm talking to? Do they really need to know this? Is this helpful for the person that I'm talking about? What am I gaining by saying, ask this question, what am I gaining by saying this? Is this going to be a benefit to the church? Or is it actually going to drag it down? All right, that's the first area where we want to apply it. Uh, the second area where, we want, where, the, where this applies, the commandment, thou shall not, uh, you shall not spread, bear false witness, sorry, I'm getting myself tied up, uh, about your neighbor, is in the area of perverting justice using our mouths to pervert justice for others. And we're picking it up at the second half in verse, verse 1. It says, You shall not join hands with a wicked man and be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Now, primarily in mind here is the legal social structure in Israel. So a nation living under God as God's people with its legal judicious system, a godly system. And what it's saying, don't use that system for your own advantage. Don't use it in a way that perverts justice for others. So don't just go along with the crowd, along with the many. Don't join in with the wicked people who are doing this for their own personal gain. Don't be partial or show partiality to others, even, it says, the poor. So don't even be overly partial to the poor among you and so pervert justice for somebody else. And then it picks it up again in verse 6, if you want to have a look how it goes. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. So now there's a little interlude there about ox and donkey, and we'll come to that in a, in a minute. But it sort of, it says on the one hand, don't be partial to the poor. But then on the other hand, don't pervert justice for the poor either. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent. And don't take a bribe. What is the saying? Israel about to enter into the land. Don't pervert justice. For anybody. But particularly for the vulnerable. The poor, and then in verse 9, the sojourner among you, the stranger, the visitor, the one who comes from outside of your society. Don't pervert justice for them. Don't fix the books. Don't take someone to court who has no backing. Don't be harsh and cruel to those who are most vulnerable. Now, th there is an application here for the way that you and I, we operate in the wider society. Because we have to realize that in Australian culture and society, it's actually okay to lie and cheat as long as you don't hurt anybody else or as long as you don't get caught. Um, we've had that proven over the last few weeks at our cricketers, haven't we? We have the sporting equivalent of perverting justice on a cricket field. 
And the uproar has been tremendous. Ah, uh-uh, they need to be punished. They need to be sanctioned. They need, they need to be taught a lesson. We have been very self-righteous as a society and a culture with this event. But at the same time, we're okay with fiddling the taxes as long as it's not too big and as long as you don't get caught. We're okay with white lies as a society as long as you're not hurting somebody else and as long as you don't get caught. And then we'll come on you like a ton of bricks. That's the minimalist way of looking at the law. Whatever I can get away with is okay. But God's instruction is not minimalist, just do what you can get away with, but maximalist. Do whatever you can to promote justice, avoid perverting justice for others, even when it hurts you. Especially when it hurts you. You see, followers of Jesus, those who claim Christ as their own, should be known in society as honest people. People who tell the truth. People who can be trusted to tell the truth even when it hurts them to do so. It means that when you and I fill out our tax return, we claim stuff, of course that is legitimate, of course that is valid, but we don't claim stuff that isn't, even though the accountant says, oh, everybody gets away with it, it's fine. It means in our business transactions with other people, we are fair and honest in the way that we do it. When we're selling a secondhand good, we don't hide the fault and the defect thinking that we can just get away with it. You don't sell a car with a massive problem, just trying to avoid talking about it. We are fair and we are honest in our dealings with others. We're promoting justice and avoiding injustice. But there's also a way that we need to understand this in the way that we, talk, or the way that we deal with one another in the church community as well. We've got to avoid the perverting of justice of a fair go for one another in the church community as well. In our conversations with people and in the way that we include and envelop people, we need to be lookout on the lookout for those who are most vulnerable, those who easily get excluded and left out of things, those who we find so easy to keep out of the loop and whose Input we don't value. We are to promote justice and fairness within the life of the church. We don't shut people out. Over morning tea, it's really easy to just focus on the people that we know, to focus on the people that we get on so well with and we have a lot in common with. And to subtly and quietly exclude those who are different, who are hard work, who are a little bit weird, and only include those who are close to us. Those of us who know what it's like 
to be enfolded into the family of God, to be shown love and kindness and compassion, and now in turn called to show that love and kindness and compassion in the enfolding of others. Third and final area in where this is applied, and that is, following on from this, the withholding of kindness from others. Now here we're jumping back up to verses 4 and 5, which stand out like a sore thumb in the middle of this passage. What is it with the book of Exodus and ox and donkeys? All of a sudden they appear in in the weirdest of places. We saw this last week. Everything makes sense, but in the middle of a section which seems to all be talking about the same thing, you get something that stands out as weird and different. Here we have the interruption of the talking about the way that the poor are dealt with in society and sandwiched in the middle there is a talk about ox and donkeys and what you're supposed to do when you see your enemies with ox and donkey wandering off down the street on itself. What we begin to realize is that the bread of that sandwich helps us understand the meat in the middle. Here the bread on the outside is about dealing justly with others, dealing kindly with others. And so the same thing is here in verses 4 and 5. We have two case studies. The first one involves your enemy's ox or donkey. You're walking down the road and your enemy's ox or donkey is wandering off down the street, untethered, roaming free. And what are you supposed to do in that case? The second one involves the person who hates you, which is another word for your enemy, their ox or donkey lying down under its burden with the owner trying to get it up and struggling to do so. And in both cases, it says, help out. If the donkey is wandering away, bring the donkey back. If the donkey is struggling, help the owner get it up. And do this for your enemy. Now, it's important to realize that almost identical commands are given in Deuteronomy chapter 23 of how to treat people's ox, donkey, that has wandered away or is struggling under a weight. But there it is for your neighbor. In creating a society, a community, where God's just ways are demonstrated, we are to show kindness to one another. We are to help one another out and do what we can to protect one another and their property. Now here, this is applied to our enemies. Now what does it mean by enemy? It's the person you have a conflict with. It's the person that you really easily butt heads with. It's the person who, for whatever reason, just doesn't like you or you don't like them, or there's been some offense to cause a division or a split in the relationship. Now, what's the temptation when we have that situation with another person? It's a void, isn't it? We know we've got a conflict with somebody. We want to do whatever we can to avoid it, to avoid talking to them, to avoid having to be around them. And the last thing that we want to do is go out of our way to show kindness to them. But yet that is what is commanded here. Because there's a very, very subtle form of injustice which can happen in the community of God's people. 
And that's the withholding of kindness to those who should receive it. That's the withholding of our love, our compassion, our service to people with whom we have a difficulty. Of course, that's our natural reaction. You hurt me. There's a problem. I don't like you. I'm going to withdraw and withhold from you. And that, according to where this is positioned, is a very subtle and a very insidious form of injustice. And it's damaging because of what it does is it continues the circle of hatred and payback and enmity. It basically says, well, if you've done that to me, I'm not going to do this for you. And we're going to continue this circle around and around where we never resolve our problems. Doing this is what Jesus refers to as heaping burning coals on the head of your enemy. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Love those who persecute you. And so doing, you heap burning coals on your head because we start a new cycle of grace and forgiveness and kindness. And we of all people should know how to do that. Because that is exactly the basis on which the new community is founded. That God takes enemies, rebels, haters, and he responds with compassion and love and forgiveness and kindness to us. That's what he's done in Christ. And that is now how we respond to and treat one another. There will be issues. There will be struggles in the church community. Sometimes they'll be done maliciously and sometimes they'll be done carelessly. We'll, we'll say something which offends or we'll speak in a way that gets misunderstood or we'll, we'll have a hot moment and we'll, we'll, we'll say something that we should never have said. These things will happen. But how will we respond to them? Withdrawing kindness or with the extension of compassion and service and love? Because in this, the church community stands out as different and it holds out a precious, wonderful message to a watching world that there is a gracious and compassionate God who in His Son has rescued and loved and brought in His enemies. And He can do that for others too. Let's pray together, shall we?